Good morning, everyone. It already smells good out there, so don't let your mind wander. We're going to have, before we have the fellowship out there, let's have a fellowship in here with the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord God, again, we're just so thankful to be in your presence. And as Izzy rightly reminds us, is that we're always in your presence, Lord God, for you are all around us, for this is your dwelling place, Lord God. Uh, not only here in this building, but everywhere we go. And we thank you for that. We thank you for always being with us, Lord God, even when we don't see you or feel you or understand. We know that you are with us, always with your children. And we thank you for that. And this morning we pray that you would be with us as we open your word, that you would open the eyes and ears and hearts of your saints this morning to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 15, and we're going to finish this chapter, and we're going to look at 22 through 33, and the title of this morning's message is Koinonia, and you might be saying, well, what's that, or I've heard of that before. Doesn't that include food? Depending. (laughs) Food. Well, the word actually is a, is a Greek word for fellowship, and it's describing a, a, an expression of unity and intimacy, particularly, as we're going to use it today, within the church. And so I kind of want to develop through the Apostle Paul's final thoughts to the church at Rome what koinonia means, how we as a church body, one, particularly on a Sunday morning, have koinonia, But because we live such fractured lives and Monday through Saturday, we might not have much interaction with each other. We can continue to have that koinonia. I think we have a great tool, and if you're not familiar with it, it's called On the City. It's a great way, it's a great place to stay connected with our brothers and sisters. And you'll see in a moment what I mean by that, and particularly in prayer. Somebody puts up a prayer request, and people can get on and just remind that we're praying for you. We're there for you, even though we can't see you, we're not meeting together on a regular basis like the early church did, just because it's just not possible, I guess, nowadays. Well, it's not. It's a way to have koinonia. Uh, It's great to see when people put out things of just, you know, bearing their heart, the brothers and sisters will get on there and kind of comfort them and encourage them with the word of God. And uh, that, that was going on this week, which was really encouraging for me as a pastor to see that. So I want to show us how to cultivate that and what it really, really means to be a church. It's not, believe me, it's more than just sitting here singing songs to the Lord and and studying his word together, which is very important, but there's more than that. And so hopefully this morning you see that as we go through this morning's sermon. And as I said, a good example of koinonia can be seen through Paul's words to the church at Rome. So let's pick up in verse 22. And I'll read through 33, and we'll come back and explain what's going on. And I'll find points of application for you. All right. And the timer ready to go. Try to stay on course. So Paul writes, for this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you when I have 
first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints for Macedonia and Achaia, have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I finish this and I've put my seal on the fruit of others, a fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So here, as I mentioned, Paul gives, in essence, his parting words to this letter, the closing words to his letter, and he'll mention some more in the next few weeks when we study chapter 16. There's a lot of good stuff there, too. But here he explains to the church really what's taken him so long to get them. He's never been to this church before. He's heard about them, which we discovered in the very first sermon like three years ago when we started this. And he says, hey, I'm still trying to get to you, but I've been prevented for a few reasons. He says, for this reason, in verse 22, I've often been preventing for coming to you. Well, what reasons? Last week, if you were here, you remember, he had been ministering to the churches throughout Asia and even as far as Western Europe up to this time. So he was out there proclaiming the gospel, being a missionary for the church. But now he says, in verse 23, that there's no longer any place for me in those regions. And so now he's like, okay, I'm done with my ministry here. It's time for me to move on. And he's got his eye on Spain. But he tells him along the way, I'm going to stop by and spend some time with you. And in this, we find that Paul gives us a second reason for writing to them. If you remember last week in verse 15 of chapter 15, one reason he was writing to them was to encourage them. He said he had written to them about some points pretty boldly to strengthen them. And now he's saying that I'm writing to you this second reason. If you notice this, I need to get some help as I move on to Spain. He says, for I hope, in verse 24, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. So he wants some help from the church at Rome as he goes to Spain. And he's probably referencing financial support, right? He needs financial support. He's a missionary. He doesn't have a, bless you, he doesn't have a full-time job. His full-time job is a missionary. He's a tent maker, as you know. So when he goes to towns, he does some work with his own hands. But he's asking for some support. And we're going to develop that point later on. But before leaving Rome, he says he wants to enjoy their company. He wants that koinonia for a while. So what's Paul's expectations of this koinonia with the church at Rome? We'll look at verse 24. Right? He says, 
uh, whenever I go to you, as I read earlier, I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. We'll develop that point in a minute. He says, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul's not coming just with an attitude of, hey, what can you give me? He's coming to the church, in essence, to help them as well. If you turn back with me to Romans chapter 1 real quick and look at verses 11 through 13, this is exactly what he tells the church when he first writes at the beginning of his letter. Romans chapter 1, looking at verses 11 through 13, he says this, For I long to see you, so that I might impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. So right here, the Apostle Paul explains to them what exactly he means in chapter 15 that we'll look at now by, hey, when I go to you, I want to refresh myself with you. He starts off by saying the expectation that he expects that Koinonia from Rome is, number one, he wants to minister to the church. He says that here in verse 11. He wants to impart some spiritual gift to them, the spiritual gifts that he's been blessed with by God. He wants to share with the church when he goes to the church. That's that's number one. He wants to minister to them, he says here in chapter one. By establishing them, or better yet, strengthening them, strength, strengthening them, or helping them mature in their faith. Now, they're not new believers, as you remember last week, and here in chapter 1 as well. He talks about their faith has been known throughout the world, and they, they're very strong believers. But he just needs to remind them and wants to encourage them. Because even if you're the strongest believer, you still need strength. You still need to be reminded of the right thing to do, and we spent a lot of time last week talking about that, so I won't do that here. But he just wants to help build them up. That's number one. He wants to establish them, strengthen their faith. Secondly, the expectation of Koinonia while in Rome, is he says in verse 12, is also to be encouraged by them. Not just to minister to them and to establish and strengthen them, but he wants to be encouraged by them as well. So he wants to encourage be encouraged by them, and he also wants to encourage them. It's a mutual encouragement. Both the congregation and the minister of the congregation, or the missionary in this case, uh, they can build each other up. Just like myself, I'm just not called to proclaim God's word to build you up, but you guys build me up as well in different ways. And if you're in any type of ministry here at church or you serve God in any way, and even just serving in general, even outside the church, you know that when you're building somebody up, you get built up as well. When you give, you get, kind of thing, in a way. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying, is I'm going to encourage you, and then you're going to encourage me. It's going to be a mutual benefit. Believers build each other up. That's what koinonia is. We're spending time with each other, building each other up. And there's no better... Uh, explanation of this or depiction of this than what's alluded to in the book of Ephesians. So turn there with me. Chapter 14, excuse me, chapter 4. You know, what Bible do you have? 
you didn't even catch that. See, I'm going to bring your Bible. That's nice. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And I refer to this often because it's really a great picture of what the church is supposed to be and how it's supposed to work in unison together, one of those areas. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, he says this. He says, and he, meaning God, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. So there's positions within the church that the Lord gave. For what reason? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So, for example, excuse me, I'm the pastor. I'm called to equip you, the saints, to do what? To build up the body, each other, of Christ. Until when? Until Sunday's over? Until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Is anybody there yet so we could just stop ministering to you? No one's going to raise their hand, right? We're not. We never will be. We are a work in progress until the day that Christ returns to take us home. And verse 14 says, as a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Why? Because you're being built up. Now, if you're not here in church, you're not fellowshipping with believers, you're not being built up and you're being tossed back and forth by every new thing that comes from this world. Tossed back and forth and carried away by every wind of doctrine. And look at what it says, very apt for today, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, even by our government. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's each and every one of us. That's a believer. That's a part of this church. That's our ministry. And we talked about that last week, too. Building each other up, helping each other mature. And we cannot do that. I can't emphasize this enough. When we're not together, when we spend most of our time with non-believers and those who don't care about the things of the Lord. So the Apostle Paul is saying he wants to minister to the church. He wants to encourage them. He wants to be encouraged by them. And going back to Romans chapter 1, before we go back to our text, because, again, I want to explain what he means by when I spend some time with you for a while. Look at verse 13, because this is our next point. He wants to make new converts, he says. That's what verse 13 means. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren. That have often planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. He's talking about evangelism and adding new members to their church by proclaiming the gospel. That's the Apostle Paul's mission. His expectation of Koinonia when he goes to Rome is also to minister alongside them to convert those in the city of Rome or the churches in that area. So Paul's expectation of Koinonia so far while he goes to Rome is one, to minister to the church, two, to be encouraged, to encourage them, three, to be encouraged by them, four, to make 
new converts. And number five, we can go back to our text in Romans chapter 15 now. As I mentioned this once, and I said I'd develop it, and this is where we'll do that. In verse 24, he says, For I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. He wants some financial help. To be helped in his missionary journey to Spain. He feels that he's called to go to Spain, and he wants the church at Rome to help him get there. Financial help or any type of help that you give somebody in ministry is a way to participate in the work of God. Maybe some of us, you know, uh, most of us, uh, all of us, I'm going to dare say, aren't missionaries yet. Maybe some of you are called to be. But if there was somebody coming through here and they were going to be a missionary somewhere and we can't go physically or financially for whatever reason, then we could participate in that ministry by helping them, giving them resources, giving them material goods. Second Corinthians, I like this verse, Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 2 and 4 describe this type of participation. 2 Corinthians 2, chapter 8, verses 2 through 4. So he's talking about a church in Mac- the churches at Macedonia, how they helped another, uh, they helped Paul in his missionary. Look at what it says. He says, uh, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. So they wanted to participate with the Apostle Paul. Let us help you help the saints that you're going to minister to. Let us be a part of that. We've talked about this in Romans before. You know, some people are blessed with different gifts, some with helps, some with giving, some with administration, some with teaching. Whatever your gift is, you're called to help the church build build itself up. And if we have missionaries or parachurch organizations, you can help by doing that, too. Maybe God has blessed you financially. And usually when that happens, it's not just to use it on yourself. To build up, you know, big storehouses. There's a parable that Jesus says, I'm going to build up big storehouses for myself, you know, so I can be, you know, I have money, I can be comfortable. And John mentioned that, trusting in myself for finances. No, God's given you money to further the gospel in some sense, to give, to help out. And so this, even here, he's saying the churches in Macedonia, they were poor. He says, they, and they gave up their free will. They begged of us to even give more than they could afford because they saw the furtherance of the gospel as more important than their own financial security. And that is a gift that people have, giving liberally. So to be helped along in his missionary journey, he says, this is a way to participate in the work of God because we can't go on our own so we can help in other ways. It was also the help that he wants was to help uh, to help him provide for his trips. As I mentioned, he's going to the missionary field. He's going to need money to get there, transportation, food, maybe clothing. 
Or maybe there's churches in Spain that need help, as we'll talk about in a moment, another church that needs help. And so he collects money for them. So this happens here, even in our loc- in the local congregation. It's, jo- it's not just missionary help, right? We help the needy within our own church. Time and time again, our church has stepped up to help one another in a time of need. People have given above and beyond when we've expressed a need. Some people say, I want to do this for the church. I've been blessed with a little bit of money, and I want to help. That happens all the time. Not only that, we use the finances when we can to help support the church leadership. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Supporting the elders of the church, the Apostle Paul says, is what we're called to do. And I can tell you that um, the elders, myself and John and David, would love to be full-time on staff. What I would much rather serve God than help distribute lumber at Ganal Lumber where I work. That's a lot more exciting, I think. I don't know. Izzy works at Ganal too, so he might say, "No, dude, this is awesome. This is this is better than ministry. This is ministry. You could be, you can ministry. You could have ministry at your place of business too." But I know, in talking to David and and John, who are the elders with me, oh, it'd be so awesome to just serve all day long, help build the church up. Thinking of ways, you know, we would have John would do a Bible study every day of the week if he could. We just don't have that time, unfortunately. Our church isn't at that level yet where we can financially support all of us. But it is commanded, I believe, in Scripture that that should happen. So 1 Timothy chapter uh, 5, look at verse 17. It says, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, And the laborer is worthy of his wages. So this scripture is commanding us or or encouraging us that, hey, the elders, it goes on with a little bit more, and you can read on your own time. You know, they're ruling ruling the church, they're teaching, they're preaching. You know, let's let them do that without worrying about anything else to such an extent we're not muzzling them. They're worthy of double honor. Just a way of saying to help provide for the, the pastors of the church that they can do it full time. You know, we're working toward that. Believe me, we would, again, we would, if I could live, if I could t- convince Mindy to live on a couple hundred bucks a month, no. If I could convince the world that, hey, I'm a pastor, I don't make that much, so can I just get that for like 10 cents? Is that cool? That would be awesome. But that's just not the reality right now. Maybe I don't have enough faith to live on a few hundred dollars a month or something. I don't know. But we would love to do it. And and I've heard your guys' hearts. We'd love to be able to do that too, you know. And let's just continue to pray that we move in that direction so that we can build up the body of, of you guys and me. We can mature into that full um, that fullness of Christ. I pray that's your desire as well. So let's move on. So providing missionary, providing for his missionary journey is another reason why he wants to go to that church. 
But before all this takes place, let's go back to our text now. Before he goes to Rome, he says in verse 25, But now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. So he says, before I come to Rome, I need to go to Jerusalem first before I get to you guys in Rome. I, I want to be there. I've desired for a long time to come. But before I do that, I need to go to Rome, uh, to Jerusalem. Why? He says, for Macedonia and Achaia, verse 26, have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So the churches in another region have provided finances to the Apostle Paul to help the poor in the churches at Jerusalem. He's going to deliver the, a contribution to that church. He's collected money, and he's, gonna, he's done that often if you follow Paul's story. You see that, and he says, he gives him a reason why. He says, yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. So he says they want to do it, but they also feel indebted or obligated to do so. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual blessings, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. So what's going on here? So the Gentile churches, how have they been blessed by the church at Jerusalem? Well, the gospel came from Jerusalem and proclaimed by the apostles and went out through all the world. Remember the book of Acts when it talks about that. So in a sense, like if it wasn't for the churches in Jerusalem, we would never have heard the gospel. So you guys have blessed us spiritually. We want to bless you financially, materially, any way we can. It's kind of that principle that I just read in 1 Timothy 5, 17. The, the, the rulers that rule well are, are given into the church spiritually. And in a sense, you, you bless the pastors and the elders spiritually, but also, again, financially help provide for them. That's the concept that's going on here with the Apostle Paul, saying the Gentile church, have been, they are indebted to them. They feel blessed because Jerusalem is built into them spiritually. They're going to give back as much as they can materially. And he's taking that back to Jerusalem. And so let's, let's move on. He says, therefore, when I finish this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So he says, hey, after I do this, I'm heading your way. And I was reading this morning in Acts that I don't think the Apostle Paul ever makes it like he wants to. He actually arrives to Rome in, uh, in chains, so to speak. And he gets in prison, and we'll see that in a few moments as well. But if I remember correctly, and maybe you know more than I do, that he gets shipwrecked, and he gets put in chains, and he gets delivered to Rome, and he's on house arrest. And so I think the leaders from the church come and visit him, but never actually gets there. And we're not told because Acts, the book of Acts ends. And I don't know if he ever gets to Spain because it's not recorded. I think, every, I think most commentators and Bible scholars believe that once he got to Rome, he was eventually killed for his faith. So he asked them, because he knows how dangerous this is, look at verse 30. He says, now, this is the next point of koinonia within the church, to be joined in prayer. He says, now, I urge you, brethren, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers, to God for me. He urges them. It's a strong request. You know, have you ever had a strong request to have your brothers and sisters, hey, you're going to pray for me, please. I'm hurting. I'm suffering. 
whatever it is, he's urging them, please pray for me. He says, strive with me. Strive together with me. It means to wrestle. Wrestle with me. So he wants them to come alongside of him and sincerely pray with him. Why? Look at what it says. That I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. He's praying for security and success of ministry. Security and success of ministry. John Calvin, when commenting on this section of Scripture about prayer and striving together and wrestling together, he says this, I like it. He says um, that this shows how the godly ought to pray for their brethren, that they are to assume their person as though they were placed in the same difficulty. That's powerful. As I thought about it, as I've seen prayer requests, for example, on the city, people wanting you to pray for them. So it's saying put yourself in their position and pray like it's your issue, like it's your concern. That's how we should pray for one another. And I was really convicted by that because sometimes, hey, will you pray for me? And you Lord, uh, just, you know, you pray real simple. Maybe it's just me. Um, but no, he says, no, we are to strive with them. Come alongside them and, and pick them up. So like this morning, uh, uh, Mindy had texted me and said that she thinks her back was going out when I was, I was, stu- I was finishing my study this morning. And uh, so I, I had just finished up my study going over. I'm like, so I need to pray like my back is going out, that it's me that's laying in bed. It really gives you a new perspective, doesn't it? Rather than, oh, you know, bless them, you know, show them your will, God, so they can do the right thing. Amen. Maybe you don't pray like that, but may, like I said, maybe that's just me. But instead, really think about, okay, my sister is asking for prayer in this area. And if it was me, how would I pray? You would pray a little bit more intently, I think. I know I would. So I was convicted by that. Come alongside them. They're bearing their burden with you or just asking for something. Pray with them in sincerity. Don't just, God bless them. Amen. Have some, I just, again, I love what John Calvin says. Assume their person as though they were placed, as though they were placed in the same difficulty. That's powerful. Again, Paul prays for, he asks for safety, and he asks for success in the ministry. Because he knows, he says, those diso- the people that are disobedient in, in Judea. And if you don't know what happens to Paul when he gets to Jerusalem, I want to share with you. Turn with me to Acts 21. Because I think he was aware of what could happen. That's why he's like, I urge you to strive with me in prayer for my safety. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, if in the United States, if, hey, I'm going to go uh, preach at another church, you know, pray for me. I'm probably not worried about my safety. But if I were to go to another country or something where the gospel being proclaimed could mean death, then I'd be praying for some sincere safety. And I think the Apostle Paul knew this because in chapter 21 of Acts, well, I just want to read this story, just part of it, starting in verse 27. So they've already arrived. In Jerusalem, Paul and the missionary group. And this is uh, Luke writing. He says, when the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him. They weren't praying for him. (laughs) That's not what that means. Crying out, men of Israel, 
Come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. They are preaching against Paul. And Paul is trying to disturb everything that we've ever, that, you know, from the law of Moses been laid down. And he's bringing Greeks into the temple. He says, for they have previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, this is probably the Greek, in the city with him. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was provoked and the people rushed together and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. And while they were seeking to kill him, he a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. So there's a major riot going on. He's been dragged out of the temple. They're trying to kill him. It's come up to the Roman cohort, the leaders, the commanders. And at once, it says, verse 32, at once he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander of the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So they were beating Paul up until the authorities came. This is why Paul was saying, please, I urge you, pray for my safety. Then the commander came up, took hold of him. You can continue reading. And he ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. So he's like, what, who are you? Why are, why are they beating you like this? But, uh, but among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another. And when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. So he can't even get an answer because it's so loud and crazy. Everybody's shouting and screaming. And when he got to the stairs... He was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob, for the multitude of the people kept following them, shouting away with him. So they have to get him to safety just to get an answer of what's going on. They just know it's a major riot. If you continue to read, you'll find out. Paul even says, hey, stop, stop. I want to preach to everybody <laughs> in the midst of this. Paul is crazy. Not just crazy. He's empowered by God's spirit because he knows what his mission is. He's not going to stop preaching, and he never did. So Paul's final uh, expectation of koinonia from the church at Rome is to pray for him. And that's where we'll stop this story. But I think we could take a few uh, points of application from Paul's desire of koinonia from the church at Rome to see how can we koinonia as a church. Well, number one, it would be by serving each other. Right? Paul went to serve at the church. When you go to church, is your desire to serve one another? I'm going to come in and serve in any way, in any capacity. And again, this can ha this should happen, and hopefully it happens Monday through Saturday as well, and not just here and serving. So don't think, well, if I'm not in a ministry at church, I can't serve. No, there's various ways that we serve one another. And like I said, we have a great tool of on the city where you can serve each other with prayer and encouragement. And as I said, it was so awesome to see that going on this week serve each other another way is to be encouraged and maybe you come to church like i need encouragement man so i need to come to church that's part of koinonia there's nothing wrong to be encouraged at church I, i'm sure you expect to be encouraged at church and not just by the sermon 
could be by worship, just by saying hi to a brother or sister, letting them pray for you. I remember, I think it was last week or a few weeks ago, just in the stand and greet time, seeing somebody praying for somebody else, that's koinonia. That's the body building each other up, encouraging each other through prayer, through just encouraging words. And not only that, another way we can koinonia is for you to be the one that encourages others. Each and every one of you that's in Christ has a gift from him that you can use to encourage. And so I said this, you know, when you miss church, when you're not here, your gifts are being missed by the rest of the body. You might not think you're important, but you are. We each play a vital role in the church. So it's not just, hey, I need to be at church to listen to the sermon and to worship God, which is awesome. We'll never stop doing that. But also your gifts to be used within the church. Somebody needs the gifts that you have to be encouraged by that. Another way we can coin an E in church is to be help, helped in your missionary journey. Now, maybe it's not, hey, you know what? I'm going to a, a foreign country as a missionary. But you know what? We are all missionaries in a sense wherever we go. We talked about this last week. We may not all be evangelists but we all are witnesses for Christ. And maybe your missionary journey is at work in your place of business. You know, many of you have invited coworkers to work, prayed for coworkers, encouraged and challenged them. In a sense, that's your missionary journey. Or it could be in the, uh, the sports complex or wherever you go. We are missionaries for Christ. It doesn't have to mean we go to a foreign country, but maybe that is your calling. Coming to church to be helped in that in any way possible is part of the koinonia that we have here at this church. Another way is to contribute to the needs of the church. Again, I spent a little bit of time supporting the elders, but it's not just that. It's the needy. It's, you know, we had money to help with the lighting. Someone contributed to pay for the carpet that we have. Somebody contributed to help with the air conditioning. You know, helping in ministry in certain ways and contributing to the needs of the church isn't just financial. It's your time, your talents, your prayers. That's all part of koinonia. But guess what? I keep hammering this in. You have to be here to know what the church needs. If you're not here, you don't know. Or you can ask, hey, what do you need? I want to contribute to the needs. What does the church need? You can ask one of the elders. There's plenty of needs. And sometimes we know of needs that people have. You know, we're not going to just come up here and share them, but we are able to use the resources that we have to help them in any way. And, and you guys are the ones that are contributing. It's not the elders that are giving all the money to the church. It's the entire church contributing and the elders distributing out with the knowledge of what's going on in the church. So the more that's given, the more that we can give out and help our brothers and sisters. And fifthly and lastly is to be joined in prayer for one another. That's koinonia as well. And again, we can do it not just, you know, when me or John are up here praying or Pastor David. It's you guys praying for each other. You know, we don't have special access to God. That veil's been ripped. Everybody in Christ has access to God now. You know, I'm not like that one priest that has a thing tied around his ankle and I'm going to go behind there. Hopefully Robert's been holy enough this week. Because believe me, I... When I need prayer, man, it's, I'm like, I need someone. My wife is, a, is, is great, has great faith. And everything she prays for almost happens. So if you have a prayer request, go to Mindy. 
And some people just have great and glorious words. I love to hear Mike pray. It's like, wow. It's like, you know, I don't know. You just have a great way of praying, Mike. I'm too short in my prayers. I'm Like I mentioned, Lord, uh, I just get to the point. You know, I just, I think you seem to be better. I think it seems to sound better, you know, or something. I don't know. And God's like, as long as it's sincere, Robert, right? I mean, that's what it is. You're sincere. Your kid, are my kids' prayers probably more sincere than mine, you know? Because, you know, like Jonathan, just believing it. My little son. But we need to be joined in prayer. That is what we're called to do. Let me just close with these uh, few verses that explain this, just for final encouragement. 2 Corinthians 1.11 says, You also joining in helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. In Ephesians 6.18, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. We're to pray for each other. Always. Be on alert. So it's great. If you have a prayer request, man, throw it on the city during the week. Let us pray. Don't think it's too small. We're supposed to pray for each other, and we want to pray for each other. You should want to. See what's going on in your life. Let us pray for you. James five sixteen, and this will be the last one, says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And guess what? We're righteous because of what Christ has done. Don't think, well, I've been good this week, so God's going to answer my prayer. Because <laughs> he might not. It's not based on how good you've been or how bad you've been. It's based on what Christ has done in his will. So I pray that you're encouraged this morning to koinonia, to come to church with those desires, to serve each other, to be encouraged, to encourage others, to help in your missionary journey, to contribute to the needs of saints, and to join together in prayer. And let's do that right now. Lord God, so thankful for the example and the ministry that you gave the Apostle Paul so long ago, and we're so thankful for the letters that were preserved so that we can read them and be encouraged by them, to be built up by them. And Lord God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us, that every time we come to church, that we would koinonia together, that we would encourage one another, minister to one another, contribute to the needs of the saints, and pray for one another, Lord God, so that we would be built up, so that we could be powerful witnesses to this world that so desperately needs your love and your transformation. Lord God, may we not rely on our own righteousness, on our own finances, or on anything else that we have, but may we trust and rely on the God who saves. We pray this now. Amen.